Yo, 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 yo. What's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome back. Welcome back. Mm-hmm. I'm back. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Um, so I I I know I've been I I I miss a couple days. I've been under the weather for a little bit, but you know, we're we're two weeks into the NFL season. So I have to give you guys my top 10 list that I work so hard on. But without further ado, I'm not I'm a I'm a let get my introduction straight. Uh, shouts out to everybody listening. Shouts out to everybody listening. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, first time listeners, shouts out to y'all. You're a first time listener. Shouts out to you. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, thank you, thank you very much. Um, and if you put somebody onto this podcast, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it, and I I appreciate the people that come up to me if they see me and be like, "Hey, listen to your podcast. That was a cool interview." Thank. You. Thank you. I appreciate everybody listening. You could have chose anywhere else to be. But like I said, um, a really, really interesting first two weeks in NFL season. Uh, I, you know, some teams have disappointed me. Some teams have surprised me. We've had some pretty, um, you know, some pretty crazy outcomes, you know, crazy comebacks and so forth. Um, the Dolphins look really good. So I, I, I think this top 10 list, I wanted I didn't want to do it after week one. Because uh, it was after the first week. I mean, granted, uh, you guys know my Super Bowl pick. Um, and I think we all know and we have a g- pretty good idea of who the good teams are going to be or what, you know, what the good teams look like so far. But I think after week two, now we still, you know, because if you start the season off 0 and 2, that's usually not a sign. That's not a good sign. Um, you're likely going to miss the playoffs if you start off 0-2. And just looking at how deep the AFC is going to be, the AFC is going to be loaded. So, you know, we there's a couple, there's some cup, there's a couple 0-2 AFC teams that I thought were going to be playoff teams. Um, that a lot of people thought would be playoff teams, but it, I don't know. It looks really shaky. But only week two. Uh, I usually I usually try to save my top 10 list um for later in the episode but i'm gonna give you guys my top 10 list because like i said i spent some time doing this um i will say this i think the back the back end like the you know the bottom five of the top 10 that was pretty hard to nitpick with um because i think all of these teams are really really good um but i think that in terms of the top five i don't think the top five is really undisputable like I think it's hard to really argue any of these teams out of the top five. Now, order we can nick knack, you know, nitpick with the order, but in terms of the top five being the top five so far in the first two weeks of what we've seen, I think it's pretty evident. So, um, you guys know how we get down. If you're like I said, if you're a regular listener and you've been listening to me since uh last NFL season or past NFL seasons, you know how we do this. Top 10 lists every week after week two, going into week three. So let's get it. Uh, at 10, I have the Vikings. Now, I think the Vikings are really good. I think there's a, I like the Vikings. I really do. I think they're going to be competing hard. They're going to compete hard in the NFC North with Green Bay. But once again, a Monday night football game, Kirk Cousins kind of, he, he wets the bed. And honestly, it was a tough spot for them to be in coming up, coming off of an emotional big time um, division game. Minnesota looked really good. And we're all high on Minnesota. And then they go into Philadelphia, Monday night football. Kirk cousins is now two and 10 on Monday night football. Granted, granted when they put it all together, I think they are very, very talented. I think they got a talented roster when they can put it all together. The rush defense is a little weak. It's a little weak, but they can get to the quarterback. Remember, Minnesota, their big problem last year defensively was they couldn't, they gave up too many big chunk plays. So they really couldn't get to the quarterback. They couldn't make your quarterback uncomfortable. I always talk about the keys of, you know, being a really, really good playoff team, being a good team that can win multiple playoff games. And I think making sure that your quarterback is comfortable and then making other teams quarterback uncomfortable. I think that's, I think that's huge. And 
now that they can do that, I think it, it gives their defense a little bit more leadway. But like I said, they're in terms of the rush defense, it's a bit weak. Um, but in terms of quarterback play and Kirk Cousins, I feel like we know what Kirk Cousins is, right? And the Vikings have a really good roster. As said, I think they're gonna be they're a really good team. They're gonna compete hard in the NFC North with Green Bay. But a lot of this offensively and a lot of what their ceiling could be and what they can be is depending on Kirk Cousins. So Vikings at 10. At nine, I have the Ravens. Now, they had a bad fourth quarter versus the Dolphins. A bad fourth quarter. First three quarters, they they look really, really good. Lamar Jackson looked really, really good. But then the fourth quarter, they wet the bed. Um, and a lot of this had to do with their defense. Really, like I said, really good team, but they have a young, young secondary, a really, really young secondary. So a lot of what you saw in the fourth quarter with a lot of these deep down the field shots um, that tool was able to that tool was able to hit with Tyreek Hill and Waddle and so forth. It was a lot of blown coverages. It was it was just a lot of it was a lot of blown coverages on Baltimore side. And in terms of what they have on on both sides of the ball, I really, really like. I think there's a lot of potential with Baltimore. Like I said, I just think they had a bad fourth quarter. Um, but in terms of offense, I mean, they average seven yards per play. That's by far the league's best. Um, they do a lot right. Like Baltimore, they don't do a lot wrong. Um, Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman, uh, second-year kid, I think, second-year receiver. He flashed a little bit. He's he's starting to pop. If Baltimore can, if their their secondary is young, they get more snaps, get more reps. I, I think the blown the, the 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 fourth quarter comeback that they let happen. I think we got to look over that week two. I think we got to look over that though. Plus Miami, they they're really good in terms of at the receiver position as well. So really talented receiver receiving core versus a young secondary, a bit tough. But granted, Baltimore they do a lot right. Lamar Jackson does nothing but win. So I have Baltimore at nine. At eight, this team coming out a little slow, but I got the Rams at eight. Their third down defense is pretty bad. <laughs> like their, their their third down defense is pretty bad. It's 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 horrendous, I would say. It's really horrendous. And you would expect more from a from this caliber of team with some of the dudes and some of the players that they have and the coaching staff. You you wouldn't think they would be so bad in such a critical down, like third down, but they are as a unit defensively. They they have been the first two weeks. Now they play Buffalo. Buffalo is really really good. Buffalo is probably the best. They're, they're the best team in football. I gave away my number one team, but in terms of the Rams defense over the first two games, it's been quite a letdown. I would also say their running game has been. Uh, the running game has been uh, has been mid, um, and you think about a Sean McVay offense, you think about his philosophy, you think about what he wants to do. A lot of that starts um, and ends with the running game. So the running game has to get a bit a bit better, um, and they lead the league in turnovers. So the Rams they're they're playing a bit sloppy, a bit choppy, which is a little uh, not 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 really their thing. The Rams, even though they don't play much in the preseason in terms of their starters. Their starters and their vets don't play much in the preseason. In previous years, they have started the year off pretty well. This year, they haven't. They like the, the first two weeks, they just haven't looked good. Um, granted, I still have them at eight because I trust their coaching, Sean McVay. I trust their stars. So I think at some point there will be a turnaround. And I think they'll get over this Super Bowl hangover. I do think they have like a little Super Bowl hangover, but they're very choppy. Um, they, that left side, the left side of their offensive line is a bit worrisome to me in terms of, you know, looking further ahead in the postseason play or, you know, further ahead in the season down the line, that left, that left side of their offensive line, it, it, it's a bit scary, but in terms of the ingredients, in terms of the, what they need to get back on track in terms of coaching stars, I think their stars will play better. I think they play cleaner football. Um, I, I trust Sean McVay. They get over this hangover, but I got the Rams at eight for now. At number seven, I had to put the Dolphins. Now, I had a lot of people know I have my questions about the Dolphins um, in terms of Mike McDaniels. He's a first year head coach, so I'm going to have my, my questions anyway. But Mike McDaniels um, and then Tua, obviously, a lot of there's been a lot of talk 
a lot of speculation around Tua. Um, and there's just been so many. I feel like over the past couple of years, there's been just so much conversation um, and just so much back and forth with Tua and him possibly being replaced if he can't put it all together. But the Dolphins look really good. Like I said, I'm not super sure about the overall team and how they're going to look in November or how they translate into the playoffs. But they do present a lot of problems for defenses. Like they they with their with their weapons, with their personnel, which I, I expect it because you got Tyreek Hill, they got an upgraded offensive line. Obviously, Jalen Waddle's coming off a really, really fantastic rookie year. Mike Jacecki isn't a bad tight end. I you look at this offense, they don't have there's not a lot of weaknesses. There's really not a lot of weaknesses, though. They they present a lot of problems. Still have my questions, though. But I will say this. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, they're the two leading receivers in the NFL. And as much as I have my doubts about Tua, as much as other people have their doubts about Tua, last nine games, the Dolphins with Tua Tagovailoa is 8-1. and one. So, I mean, they, they, they win games. He win games. Sometimes it's not the prettiest, it's not done in the prettiest fashion, but they are winning. So we're going to keep, Miami's going to be a team that we really keep a close eye on because we not, a lot of people aren't really sold. A lot of people aren't sold on Tua, but they have got off to a really good start. So Dolphins at seven. At six, I have the 49ers. I think this is a championship caliber squad. Now what happened to Trey Lance? Unfortunate. And you guys know I was real excited about Trey Lance to see what he can do under Kyle Shanahan and, you know, certain capabilities that he has that Jimmy Garoppolo, quite frankly, doesn't possess. But honestly, if I'm if I'm being honest with you guys, the 49ers just look different under with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. They they look like a different team. Um, I, I know they're missing Kittle. They're missing Elijah Mitchell, um, two big offensive pieces for them. But. They just look like a different team under Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they have more rushing yards than passing yards to start off the season the first two weeks. Um, so I, I just Jimmy Garoppolo, he's 35. I want to say he's 35 and 16 as a starter. Um, and with Garoppolo, it's kind of similar to Tua, where they have their obviously they're they're not the most uh elite. They're not the most eye-popping guys. They don't have the biggest arms, but they they win. And sometimes it's in unconventional fashion. And that's why I feel like that's why we, you know, we kind of nitpick and we talk about some of their disparities and some of the gaps between them and other quarterbacks. But they win just as much as those other quarterbacks that we put ahead of them. Rightfully so. Not saying we shouldn't be doing that, but they win. Jimmy Garoppolo, he wins. This team is this 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 49er team can easily be right back in an NFC Championship game again this year. Um, at number five, I have the Chargers. Now, I know a lot of people they lost to Kansas City. Um, but here's the thing: they were missing two offensive linemen and Keenan Allen, all have high value on this offense. Justin Herbert over the first two weeks have been Justin Herbert. Um, and their pass rush, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, their pass rush has been one of the best in the league. I like I like this tandem on both sides. They're able to get to the quarterback, which was something that they really struggled with last year. I think the Chargers, I think they're really good. I think they're really talented. I just think this 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 loss to Kansas City, first Kansas City, is really good, right? They're not just they're not losing to Kansas, like they're not losing to bad teams. This is not a bad football team. They lost to Kansas City. And then, like I said, they were missing Corey Lindsley, one of the best centers, all pro caliber center. Uh, and then Kenan Allen. He's a he's their he's their third down go-to receiver. Third down, that's the guy they go to. So I had the Chargers at five. I think the Chargers are really good. Um at at four, I have the Eagles. I have the Eagles at four. They have really, really impressed me. Um, I picked the Eagles to win the NFC East. Um, and I picked them to do it kind of in comfortable fashion because if you look at their if you look at their schedule, their schedule is really built for a young team. They have a the Eagles have a really young team. Young but really talented. 
but their schedule is built for a young team that is talented to have some some down Sundays and so forth and still win. Now, the next couple of weeks, they got the Commanders and the Jaguars. So, once again, they're probably favorites to win those, the ne- their next two games. So, they could get off to a 4-0 start, which is a really good sign and puts them in that good direction of what I predicted, which is them winning the NFC East. Um, I will say this. They they know they, – I, I like you know what I like about Philly? Even last year, their turnaround last year, they found their identity – and now this year they're just they're just staying with that identity. They're the best. They have the best rushing attack in football. That that's what got them back into playoff contention and ultimately made them a playoff team last year. Was they got back to what they do: offensive line up front and being able to run the football. Now now they look a little bit more dangerous because now they have a star wide receiver in AJ Brown. Uh, Jalen Hurts, believe it or not, is slowly developing and getting better and better each week. And then, like I said, I don't think this is an overreaction. I think this is real what we have with the Eagles. I think they're definitely one of the best teams in the NFC, one of the better teams in the NFC. The NFC, quite frankly, isn't that deep. But 165 rushing yards per game, they clearly have an identity. They're able to stretch the ball down the field. They're they do a lot offensively. They present a lot of problems. They're kind of like the NFC version of the Dolphins, where, you know, quarterback, everybody has their questions about the quarterback. You know, Nick Sirianni, he had a pretty good first year, but let's see what he does this upcoming year. And, you know, they got some pretty good weapons on the outside and so forth. I think I think the Eagles and the Dolphins are really, really merely similar um, in two different conferences. I don't think this is an overreaction, though. I had the Eagles at four. At three, this was a tough one for me, but I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. And I'm going I'm to put the Buccaneers at three just based off the fact they have Tom Brady. Now, I, was, I will say the first two weeks, Brady has looked average for his standards. For his standards, Brady has looked pretty average um, the first two weeks, but I, I, I'm taking an account to all of the injuries that they have. Their offensive line, it's a makeshift offensive line at this point. Um, they're missing their left guard. Well, Alex Kappa left in free agency. Ali Marpet retired. And then Ryan Jansen, their center, Pro Bowl center, center he got hurt too. So, <laughs> you know, you, you look at so many injuries, especially on the offensive side of the football, there's not really much to Tampa that you would love. Um, their defense is still pretty athletic and still can get after it in terms of getting to the quarterback. But in terms of Tampa and what they have looked like the first two weeks, I think me putting them at three is just more of a respect level with Tom, with Tom Brady. But they haven't really looked too impressive. That They had a pretty collective team effort win versus the Saints. Uh, that was a tough one. But not too, not nothing too impressive for Tampa Bay in the first two weeks, but I have them at three, let alone. At two, I have the Chiefs. The Chiefs are awesome offensively. I mean, but are we surprised? Are Like, are we really surprised that the Chiefs are still good offensively? No, because they still have Patrick Mahomes. They still have Andy Reid. They still have Travis Kelsey. And then they still have, outside of that, they still have some really, really good productive receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster. Um McCole Harmon, Valdez Scantling, they still have some pretty productive wide receivers. And like, like, like I've been saying all offseason, can you duplicate what Tyreek Hill does in terms of his speed and how he's just able to be a burner down the field? No. But would their offense still be electrifying and really good and really potent and really hard to stop? Yes. And that's been proven throughout the first two weeks. They got a big-time win versus the Chargers. Um, and the Chiefs look really good. Now, their defense, that's where some of the issues come into play. Their defense has taken a step back from where they were last year, where they finished last year. Uh, if you remember, after, I think, like around mid-October, October on, the Chiefs had one of the best, if not the best defense in football, uh, just looking at the numbers statistically. Statistically, they had one of the best defenses in football from October on last year. Um, so you look at what they can do offensively, it, it makes it has you wondering 
what if Mahomes has one of those, you know, one of those stretches where two, three game stretches where, you know, his mechanics are out of whack. The offense just isn't clicking. Can the defense bail the offense out? Is it good enough to bail the offense out? I'm not sure in the first two weeks of what I've seen. I'm, I'm not quite certain on that answer. And this is why I have the Bills at number one, because I think the Bills, and this this should be no surprise. Um, I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl um, this year. I think they have the the missing ingredients in terms of a pass rush. Um, I thought throughout the last couple of years, I thought Buffalo was missing on the defensive side, a legitimate name star pass rusher. They have that in Von Miller now. They have that in Von Miller. And I would say the Bills arguably have the best pass rush in football. So they always had pretty good secondary. They always had they they always had pretty good players in the secondary with that safety tandem with Micah High and Poyer, and then obviously Tre'Davious White. Um, but now you add in an actual pass rush and a star, future Hall of Famer pass rusher and Von Miller. I think that's what takes the Bills as a team and as a defense to a whole nother level. And this is why I say they're clearly the best team in football. And I asked the question, I posed the question about Kansas city. If their offense for two, you know, for two games, if they often go into two game slump where they really can't really put anything together is the, is the defense good enough to bail the offense out? I'm not so certain of the answer with Buffalo. I think the defense is good enough to bail them out. Now, in terms of Buffalo offensively, they have been able to run the ball a little bit more effectively this year, which is a good sign as well. And also, they just have like this knockout punch. Like they they have this ability to just knock teams out with their offense and how potent it is. So you look at their coaching, you look at their quarterback play, you look at the weapons that they have, and you ask if their defense is good enough, is their pass rush good enough, I think it is. And their defense has been really, really good and can bail out the offense. So that's my top 10 list. Um, my top 10 teams going into week three after the first two weeks of the NFL season. Those are my top two, top 10 teams. You guys know I do this every week. Um, it's like my mini power rankings. I have fun doing it. Um, I think it's real interesting. But that's the, that's, that's the list. I, I feel pretty confident about the list. After two weeks, that's what I've seen. I love what I've seen from certain teams. Um, I was telling this, I was telling this to myself um watching on Sunday, watching some of the games. And I tell you, in terms of the quarterback play, like outside of like Mahomes, outside of Josh Allen, um, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts has looked pretty good. Um, I know I'm missing someone else. Jalen Hurts is pretty. He's been pretty good though. Lamar Jackson. Outside of those guys, you start watching some other quarterbacks play around the league, and even the guys that we consider to be really, really good, like the Joe Burrows, even Tom Brady, as I mentioned, they have been pretty average. The quarterback play, depending on what game you're watching, if you're not watching NFL Red Zone. The quarterback play can look really, really average. <laughs> it can look really, really average at times. I expect it to get better because I think Joe Burrow at some point will get better. I think Russell Wilson at some point will start to play better. I think Tom Brady at some point will start to play better. But just looking at it, it's like, ah, uh, the, the quarterback play, uh, You, if you're not watching the right game, it might actually freak you out. Um. Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, they had a pretty crazy comeback. A lot of comebacks, a lot of crazy endings, a lot of a lot of crazy results in week two, I felt like, um, had you on the edge of your seat. But I'm going to take a break real quick. I'll be right back. I think I'm going to get into – okay, so on to a, I would say, a really strange, um, unfortunate story, a story where – the details have been – the details started off really, really vague. But now a couple of days have gone by, hours have gone by, uh, suspensions and punishments have been made. Um, and, 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 you know, the MAU Doka Boston Celtics situation 
very, very strange one. And initially, <clears throat> my thoughts, because when this all happened, um, Woj had put out a tweet, uh, a very wordy tweet, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, um, and it was, like I said, it was very wordy, but very much vague, didn't have much context um, at all, and so if you don't know, M.A. Udoka, he's been suspended for one full year by the Boston Celtics um, due to, I want to get the proper wording that was used, but due to a violation of organization policy, he was he was suspended um, by, by the Boston Celtics. And I think Brad Stevens uh, had a press conference earlier today. This is a this is going to be a Saturday episode for you guys, so it's currently Friday, by the way. Um, but Brad Stevens had a he held a press conference earlier today, and uh, that press conference told me a lot I needed to know. Um, so, like I said, initially. Earlier this week, when this news was broke, when when this story had broke about Emma Udoka having a consensual sexual relationship with one of uh, with a staff member of the Boston Celtics, a female staff member of the Boston Celtics, I thought just by hearing that, and and at first, I want you guys, I want to give you guys like a timeline per se when. This thing first broke about Emma Udoka. Like I said, Woj had put out a really wordy tweet where it, it really he said a lot. He said a bunch of nothing. Um. Then later on that night, Shams drops a or he drops a bomb, and he really gives a, like he gives more detail and gives a little bit more detail as to why Emma Udoka could be facing a suspension. And then from that point on, we have gotten scoop by scoop and detail by detail. And the like, in my opinion, I don't even think the full details is out. Um, I have a couple sources um, that have been uh, that have been that's been pretty close to the situation. Uh, this is it's just a it's just a bad situation because a lot of people around the league really like Ma Udoka. And he had a really, really brilliant first year, a really good year, uh, first year as a head coach under the Boston Celtics. And you think about the finals appearance, how they started off the season, uh, and then now this. And as I talked about, um, Brad Stevens, um, I, I, they they held a press conference. Celtics held they held a press conference today, earlier today. And Brad was very heartfelt, um, but you could tell the energy the Celtics are going to do what the Celtics need to do. Now, M.A. Udoka, let's make it clear, he didn't violate any type of league protocol whatsoever to, as far as we know. Um, so I'm, you know, I think the Celtics, this is the Celtics doing the Celtics. I think the league's going to let the Celtics handle the situation since it was a organizational policy that he had broke and the organization has already struck a punishment where I think, yeah, a, a, a full year, full year suspension that, that, that sounds about right. That, that sounds about right. And um, yeah, I, I, and I, I'm sorry I, I sound so, I may sound like a little stuck, but this, this whole situation, I just want you guys to know where I'm coming from. I didn't think this, like, the first pair of news that we got about him having a consensual sexual relationship with a staff member, I didn't think it needed to be front page news. I didn't think that, I didn't think that warranted front page news. Uh, you know, I, I, I would have rather the Celtics handle that behind closed doors and so forth. I didn't think that needed to be made on front news. Emma Udoka, obviously, if you guys don't know, does have a relationship. Um, 
you know, I don't know if it's still on, but he was in a relationship with Nia Long, um, a really famous actress. So that whole, I, I, me personally, and you guys know, I don't talk about, I, I try to not talk about these things, but this, I feel like this story has gotten a lot of coverage. And I will say as a, as a college student that's studying around reporting and communication, uh, this, I don't think this has been, I don't think this story has been covered in the best light, but many could argue that this type of story is really hard to cover in a good way. And I'm not saying it has to be spun. I'm not saying this, this story has to be spent in a positive way, but just the, just the wagering of details and not knowing, like, it seems like we're getting piece by piece by piece by piece. And it went from, uh, yeah, he might be suspended because he broke policy. Okay. He had a consensual, he had a consensual sexual relationship with a staff member. Actually, no, he made the staff member feel uncomfortable. So there's just so many layers and details that we're getting bit by bit. I just feel like the reporting in itself hasn't been the most adequate, hasn't been the most friendly, I would say. Like I said, I'm not saying this story has to be spent positively because it's really hard to spend a it's really hard to spend a story of this magnitude and in this type of billing positively, but I think in terms of adequateness, this reporting the reporting surrounding and the coverage surrounding this story, I don't think has been that good. I don't think that's been that good, but who am I to say? Uh, who am I to say that? Um, yeah, it's just, it, I, I, I have more so, I usually give you guys my thoughts. I usually give you guys my unwavering opinion um, and insight and analysis. But I, for with this story, I must say, I have some unanswered questions and I'm trying to reach out. I'm honestly right currently uh, I'm trying to reach out to people to get more information that I could put on air and spread to you guys and give to you guys. But I have a lot of questions myself and I feel like, and that's why I saying like the reporting we're getting the reporting, we're getting the details bit by bit. So maybe something will come out next week. Then maybe something to come out when the season start and let's not even get started. How like, Training camp is literally around the corner. Preseason and the regular season is like literally around the corner. So I, I, this is a lot of this is really really bad timing. Um, like I said, from the Celtics' point of view, like Ma Udoka had a great first year as a head coach, great first year, and he bought something new that honestly Brad Stevens couldn't really bring. Brad Stevens, the players, the younger guys, the the players on the rock, they 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 started to tone out Brad. Ma had a Ma Udoka had a presence where he was he was younger, more vibrant, a little bit more. He's more of a man's man. Played in the NBA, was an assistant coach for years, and had a relatability factor to him, which made the players gravitate towards him. Um. So if this does end up, you know, this if the result of this ends up him, you know, losing his job, that's unfortunate. But I say all that to say this, the Celtics, it seemed just looking at hearing the energy and the tone that the that the Celtics held uh, or the press conference that the Celtics held, just hearing and listening to that press conference. They're going to do what they need to do and what's best for the Celtics and in terms of like PR, how they like their their image as a brand. They're going to definitely do what's best for the Celtics. And if they think, if they feel that moving off of M.A. Udoka as the head coach, if they feel like that's best for the Celtics and that's what needs to happen in order to move on effectively from this situation, then I think that's what they're going to do because it, it seems very, very serious. That was another point. I thought when this story first broke, I questioned, I'm like, okay, I, I, I know 
in a lot of corporate spaces, it's not appropriate to have work relationships, uh, or like, or I should, I should say sexual work relationships, um, consensual or non-consensual, either way, um, that's still not appropriate in the corporate space. I still didn't really sense the seriousness behind that. But now, like I said, as more and more details are coming out, I understand the seriousness. And I and I and I think this is something I not I'm not gonna say that I thought was gonna happen, but think about it. More females moving into the NBA, the NFL, we have more and more females moving into these sports leagues, these leagues that are dominated by males, like overwhelmingly, like they're dominated by males. We have women, we have women moving into the NFL workspace, to the NBA workspace, really throughout the major sports, we have females integrating and moving in, into the workplace. So naturally... Like, like I said, I'm not saying I predicted this to happen, but think about it. If a male-generated or a male, not say generated, a male-dominated industry then integrated with women, you would think something of this magnitude would probably happen. Now, it probably you probably wouldn't think that it will be covered. And it would be reported and it would be so publicized to this magnitude. But you would have to think with more females moving into the NBA, the NFL and so forth into major sports um, that are dominated by males, um, whether that's on the field or off the field in terms of um, employ employment. Uh, it's just something that it's the tip of the iceberg. This is kind of like this breaks the ice. And in our social climate, you know, you got to be really, really careful as a male. You have to be, you have to be really careful. We, you, you got to be really, really careful um, in the social climate that we live in. So, I, like I said, I have questions. Um, I'm, I, I know it's football season, basketball season's around the corner, but and I, I know, uh, I know a lot of people are looking for my football content. But I, I just thought this story, it, it's just, it's getting bigger and bigger by the day, by the hour, it seems like. Um, and it, I, I just, I got to cover it because I know people would want to hear about it and so forth. Um, but like I said, I'm still in want, in need, in search for my questions to be answered. And I think they will really soon. Um, but in terms of like, I'm just I just want you guys to know that I'm really surprised that the the seriousness has really risen for me. Because when I first saw this story earlier this week, I did not I thought it was really strange that it was reported and that it was gonna be publicized. And then I thought also I'm like, well, how serious is this? You know, like, okay, it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate for sure. Totally inappropriate. But uh, is it how how bad is it really? And then we get more details and get more details and like, okay, my serious meter, <laughs> it definitely went up. It definitely went up. So I don't know. I, I think and I, I see a lot of people where I think uh, a lot of people uh, around social media, and you know, just all across different platforms they're bringing up different other stories um like the brett Favre situation so i don't know if you guys know but literally brett Favre. um a lot of people are cross comparing it and a lot of people are coming down on brett Favre, and rightfully so the brett Favre, me personally i don't think the brett Favre story has gotten enough coverage um and if you don't know <clears throat> due to the lack of coverage that it's been getting Allegedly, uh, Brett Brett Favre he stole uh, fraudulently about five million dollars in welfare and welfare money, um, or welfare funds in the state of Mississippi. That's Brett Favre's from Mississippi. 
And if you, I don't know if you guys are up to what's going on socially in terms of what's going on in, in Mississippi, but Mississippi is having a really, really rough time and probably probably our poorest state in the United States of America. So a lot of people are cross comparing um, the media attention and coverage that one story is receiving. Um, and then this Brett Favre story, this Brett Favre story has been out for some time now. Brett Favre um, and him uh, stealing Warfare funds up to about $5 million, allegedly. That I think that's the total. Um, just hasn't received much coverage from um, from different, from various of platforms and so forth. So a lot of people don't even know about it unless you're just in the know of things. But I, I find it interesting that a lot of people are, you know, cross comparing it. And I understand it. I, I definitely understand it where um, a lot of guys have been dragged through the mud. Um, and this is, and with, with me cross comparing it or with, with others cross comparing it, at least with me, I am not minimizing the wrong that's been done. Um, or that, that, you know, you, MAU Doka, but it, it does, it is a cause for concern and a cause for pause where, okay, this MAU Doka situation happened, you know? It's getting resolved and it's receiving a lot of attention. But that guy's like Brett Favre, who's been he's had some questionable Brett Favre's had a lot of questionable things since after since after football. Brett Favre has said and done a lot of questionable stuff since his retirement from football. Since since his retirement for the NFL. Brett Favre has looked really, really sketchy. And his character, I would say, almost is merely questioned. I, I think I think that's just out of the like. He, we gotta really look in the mirror and ask, like, who in the hell is Brett Favre on off the football field? Great player on the field, really good player on the field, all time great. But off the field you got to start questioning who the hell is this guy so i definitely understand the concern i definitely understand the hypocrisy because there has been some hypocrisy i understand the hypocrisy and the you know, the different coverage or lack thereof that has um that just hasn't been received or just hasn't been shown um because a lot of, i'm i'm sure a lot of you guys don't know about the Brett Favre story and if you do know about it you it probably wasn't front page news. It prob you probably didn't catch it or see it on front page news. You had to be in the loop of something somewhere um in order to get that. So that's just that. Um I'm gonna keep like I said, I'm gonna keep an update on the MAU Doka situation for you guys. Um and we'll continue to talk about it if there's more details that come out that are like substantial of note. But other than that, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna shift gears to my last two segments. I want to talk about the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm gonna tell you guys what what no one else is really talking about in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo getting his job back. Nobody else is really talking about this element. But I'm gonna talk about it, and then I also got a Patriots, uh, little Patriots, mini Patriots topic I want to get to before I let you guys go. I'll be back. So. Okay, um, and we're back. 49ers. Let's get to the 49ers. Um, because I think this is interesting. And, you know, you guys know I was really high on Trey Lance. Well, not so much high. I was high on Trey Lance, but I was more so excited and really, really eager to see um, Trey Lance under Kyle Shanahan and what they can do because of all of the surrounding speculation and I must say hype around Trey Lance um with him being you know high they moved the with all what the 49ers had to do in order to draft Trey Lance I was really eager and excited to see what he was going to do uh, uh, well unfortunately he had a season ending injury a nasty season ending injury and then that fulfilled that then led to Jimmy Garoppolo getting his job back. Jimmy Garoppolo is now the 49ers starter once again. And he, I I said it even on this earlier on this episode. 
the 49ers, they look like a different team when Jimmy Garoppolo is under center. Now, I'm not necessarily saying they're better, but they look like a different team. They, they, they just look like a different team. And I don't know, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is just used to this situation, um, the, the play calling, the play style. Uh, I don't know, but he is very, very comfortable. Um, and he and this team is very comfortable with him at the helm. Now, he's 35 and 16 as a starter. He's gotten to a Super Bowl and a NFC championship game. And it makes you think, okay, what the Niners. Yeah, like Trey Lance, young kid, a lot of upside shows a little bit more promise and a little bit more upside, and his ceiling could be higher than Jimmy Garoppolo's. But Jimmy Garoppolo, like we know, where we're getting. We we this is a guy that's been to a Super Bowl. This is a guy that was a couple minutes away from winning a Super Bowl, a throw away from winning a Super Bowl. And just as as late as last year, just as recently as last year, got to an NFC Championship game. So I know, so everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the Forty Niners, they're gonna just be like." And and I do think the Forty Niners gonna have, they're gonna be okay. I think they're gonna be really good. I think they have the chance to get back to the NFC Championship game this year. So what I'm about to say, don't don't dispute that. Don't don't dispute that they have a great team. I'm not disputing that because they do. I'm one of the ones that think they have a really good chance at being one of the teams that's playing in late January and February because I think their roster is that good. I think their coaching is that good. But let's like, can we all just sit back and think about it? Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers, it was something about, it was something that Jimmy Garoppolo, didn't provide that the that then forced the 49ers to go get them another quarterback. Like, I think that's the point in a like this whole Jimmy Garoppolo getting his job back. I don't think people are actually thinking about that point. The 49ers, they know that Jimmy Garoppolo can't necessarily provide what they're looking for in order to win a championship. Which then forced their hand to take a leap of faith, give up some really, really valuable picks in order to move up in the draft to draft a quarterback, which was, which is Trey Lance. So what does that say? I think it tells you all you need to know. The 49ers know something that we don't. <laughs> like, everybody's just so, I feel like, and like I said, I'm not disputing that feeling because I think that, I think San Francisco is a really good team. And like I said, I think they have, in, in terms of the NFC, I think they have as good as a shot as anybody. At this moment, I think they got as good as a shot as anybody. If they can, if their stars, if their impact players can stay healthy, which, which a lot was, you know, most will say that's a big if. But if their stars down the stretch, down the down the critical time of the season can stay healthy, then I think the Niners they they could be very much in business. But I think the element that I want to bring up that I'm bringing up that no one is talking about is the simple, it's the elephant that's been in the room for since the Super Bowl loss is that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't the guy that's going to get us over the top and win us a championship. He can get us close. He can get us damn close. He's got us close. He's got us close. He's got us as close as you can be, but he can't really get you over the top. And that's what the 49ers know. They know something that everybody else doesn't. I, I I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that, like, think about it. Um, I forgot the year. 
I want to say it was like 2011. Matt Flynn, Aaron Rodgers was hurt, I think. I, I think, I don't know. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers was hurt, but it was the last week of the regular season. And Matt Flynn was playing for the Packers. Uh, and he, I think he played, he was, they, the Packers are playing the Lions, and Matt Flynn had a six touchdown performance. His offensive coordinator that year <clears throat> was Joe Philbin. Joe Philbin, that, that same offseason, was hired as the Dolphins head coach. That same, mind you, that same offseason, Matt Flynn was a free agent. So, Joe Philbin, offense coordinator for the Packers, Matt Flynn had a six-touchdown performance. Philbin gets the job in Miami, but Matt Flynn signs in Seattle. Matt Flynn would eventually lose his job in Seattle to Russell Wilson, who the Seahawks drafted that same offseason in that same draft. But Matt Flynn was supposed to be the guy. But nevertheless, Joe Philbin was hired in Miami. Once again, he was Matt Flynn's offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Why didn't Joe Philbin give Matt Flynn a call and say, hey, come to Miami for a year or two, run my offense, you know this offense, we've been talking about this, boom, when Matt Flynn was a free agent. Because Joe Philbin knew something we didn't. Joe Philbin knew something that others did not know. Soon people will find out. <laughs> That's why Matt Flynn got the money in Seattle. Seattle gave him the big deal, but then Russell Wilson beat him out. For the job. How? Well, Matt Flynn isn't a starting level quarterback. Just wasn't that good. Now, Matt Flynn, I don't, don't want to make a scene like that. Matt Flynn was, he had a, he was a really productive backup quarterback. But Joe Philbin knew something that others didn't know, which was, hey, uh, he's a solid backup, but he you don't want him as your starter. Well, think about the 49ers. The 49ers. They know that all it takes is one game, one hiccup, where Jimmy Garoppolo looks completely lost, and he just looks like he's in a blender. And you, you, you're wondering, like, how in the hell is this guy starting quarterback in the league? The 49ers are just waiting for that moment. And they know something that others don't know. That is why the 49ers went out and got they went out and got them a quarterback. The 49ers went out and got them a, four, a quarterback because they knew they know that Jimmy Garoppolo can't provide he 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 doesn't provide what they're looking for, which forced them to go get a quarterback. I think that is a big element. And I'm, I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo can't play. I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is a backup. I'm not saying he can't be a starter in this league. But my point is, when <clears throat> when teams, head coaches, offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, any type of coordinators or position coach, usually when they get a new job and they're comfortable and familiar with the guys that, they, you know, like when OCs get new jobs, you usually see the quarterback kind of follow. Or like a quarterback – May you know, uh, um, a, a quarterback coach may get a job and then the quarterback follow, like you see that type of stuff, or vice versa. Uh, I think it says a lot that the 49ers did not th that they went out of their way to get another quarterback, and now, once again, after Trey Lance's injury, they're now back where they. Didn't want to be, technically. <laughs> like, the 49ers did not want to be in this situation with Jimmy Garoppolo. They didn't want him starting. They didn't want him playing. Now, there was always the possibility, the possibility, the possibility that Jimmy Garoppolo was never out of the rim of him playing. It was never out of the rim. But it wasn't something, ideally, that they wanted because they started Trey Lance. They made it known that Trey Lance is our guy. They they've made that they have made that 
unequivocally known that Trey Lance is our guy. We're rolling with Trey Lance. They were hell. They were shopping Jimmy Garoppolo all offseason. Didn't like a deal. Didn't like a deal that they got. Didn't like the deals that they got. So they kept him. They they reduced his salary. Like everything the 49ers have done this offseason shows you like they don't want Jimmy Garoppolo. Once again, they're back with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I said, I'm not saying it's a bad thing per se. I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo can't play. And but on that same note, I'm also saying the 49ers clearly did not want Jimmy Garoppolo under center for their team. They didn't want it because they know he has a ceiling. They know that he might have a stretch, a game or two, a, a critical game where he may look shaky. I.e., the Super Bowl. I.e., you know, a couple games last year where he just looked a mess. The 49ers know something that we don't. And everybody is talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, and he wins a lot of games, and he does. And for the most part, at times, he looks really, really productive. But the 49ers know something that we don't. They know something that everybody else doesn't. And that is Jimmy Garoppolo, he must don't provide what they need in order to win a championship. And that's why they went on out of their way, moved up picks, moved picks, moved everything, moved mountains to get a quarterback. They moved mountains to get a quarterback. And then you look at their following discretions and their following actions throughout this offseason, clearly shows they did not want Jimmy Garoppolo under center, at least this early. They didn't want him under center starting week three. They didn't. Now they have him. We'll see what happens. I think they're going to be okay, but this is not the predicament that the 49ers wanted to be in. All right, so I'm going to move on to uh, my last topic, uh, the Patriots. Uh, and like I said, I, people, people can call it what it is. But I have been uh, real super, I wouldn't say super, but I've been more so questioning the direction of the Patriots in terms of especially their offensive philosophy and how they think about offense. And granted, they're coming off a win versus the Steelers. It It was not that impressive. Their offense still hasn't looked up to par, which... I'm not surprised because you look at some of the web. You look at the weapons. You look at the personnel offensively that they have. It's it doesn't. It leaves a lot to be desired. I just say that it leaves a lot to be desired. But I found it interesting that two. two I saw two things. Jacoby Myers. He came out said something about the Patriots' offense, um, and basically said, "Hey, I question what the plan is and how we're going to attack on a week to week basis." That's what Jacoby Myers said. And then Matt Castle also said later uh, earlier this week that he thinks Bill Belichick has changed in terms of his philosophy where Patriot players are just so willing and willing, willingly and openly just talking about the game plans. And I've been I've been really poking at this whole Belichick and Patriots and Robert Kraft situation where Belichick, you would think over the past couple of years. And the way how he has built the Patriots, basically, since Tom Brady has left, since the since the departure of Tom Brady, a lot of the a lot of the personnel decisions and a lot of the transactional decisions that's been made by Bill Belichick and the Patriots haven't been the best. They haven't they, the drafts have been really odd and not good. Um, and even when Tom was there, there was still, here's the thing. When Tom was a Patriot, they, they still had some weird, some weird personnel decisions, but you couldn't really question it because they were still having success. That's what it was. When Tom Brady was a Patriot, Belichick still had weird drafts. Belichick still struggled in the draft. Belichick at times made some iffy questionable decisions in terms of personnel building and how he looks at offense and what they did on the offensive side of the offensive side of the ball. I think now that Tom has left, 
And we have seen a drop off and a dip and a decline. And since he's left, they have been a 500 football team. I think now with him making these same mistakes and having these same hiccups, it leaves a lot to be desired. And then that opens the door for myself to question and criticize, which I, I don't see nothing wrong with. I, I, I see nothing wrong with me criticizing. A lot of the moves that Belichick has made over the past few years since Brady has left has been fairly questionable. And I think a part of me, and just like I think similar to a lot of people, I think people try to give Belichick the benefit of the doubt because like it's Belichick, you know, six championships, great coach, all-time great coach. Many will refer to him as the greatest coach of all time. So we try to give him a little bit of spare, a little bit of wiggle room. But I think at this point, Belichick has rings, Belichick has money, and Belichick has an ego. And I think a little bit of this, I always have hinted to, towards this, but look at Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich has now reached a point where, and I think Greg Popovich is a great man, great coach, but he has reached a point where he has rings, he has money, he has ego. His ego has only grown. And it's not the same Greg Popovich from 10 years ago. His philosophy, his thoughts have changed. His motives have changed. I I said I always talk, I always talk about with Michael Jordan, Le, LeBron James, LeBron James, Lakers front office, a mess. The Lakers a mess. LeBron James just just recently signed an extension. Why? You think eight ten years ago, LeBron James still makes that same decision where? He signs an extension with the Lakers. If the if the front office is lousy, the like the Lakers front office, it's lousy. Their situation in terms of their cap and flexibility, and their cap flexibility, it's it, it's atrocious. They have no young assets at all. You think LeBron James still make that? No, no, because his motives have changed. His philosophies, I think, some of his philosophy has changed. I don't think it's the same, and I'm not saying LeBron doesn't want to win. I'm not saying Tom Brady. I'm not saying Bill Belichick doesn't want to win. I'm not saying Greg Popovich doesn't want to win. But I think they do it to a certain degree where, you know, they think about a little bit more. Where initially, previously, years ago, it used to be win at all costs. Now, it's about winning, but winning comfortably doing it your way, even if your way seems outdated. Because I think Belichick, in his way of how he sees the game offensively, has changed. I think, and that's okay, but I think with the game changing and evolving, I think Belichick has to find a way to curve or evolve and change with the game as well. And that's where I think that that's where a little bit of my questioning and criticizing um, and critiques come into play in terms of what Bill Belichick is doing with the Patriots. And I'm sorry. I mean, I think I think the way they look at offense, I've been, I've been saying it all summer. Um, and now after the first two weeks, like I said, they won versus Pittsburgh. They play Pittsburgh. But you just look at the other, like, look at the rest of the league and where the league is going. Like, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Bills, the Eagles, like, Teams are explosive. Teams can score points. If you notice, you look at my top 10 teams, you look at my top five teams, what do they all have in common? They usually have a really, really elite quarterback. And all of these offenses in my top five are really, really explosive. From the Chargers to the Bucks, or have the ability to be explosive. From the Chargers to the Bucks to the Eagles to the Chiefs to the Bills, so I think there there's definitely some correlation there. You look at my you look at the rest of my top ten list. Dolphins they got two great wide receivers. You look at the Rams they're explosive offensively. They have Sean McVay, one of the best offensive lines in football. You, I mean, I think there's really no way of getting around this offensive thing because that's just how the game is played. The rules align for the game to be played this way. The flow of the game allows for the offense to thrive. It, it's just the way of the game. And I think Belichick has to adapt to that. So I, I do think, so to Matt Castle's point, I do think Belichick has changed. And I think with 
with the combination of money, I mean, with the combination of rings and ego and success, like, yeah, I think it has changed. I think it has changed for him. And I think it's, I think he goes about it like it's his way or the highway. So, like, offense, hey, Matt Patricia, you call offensive plays. Granted, Matt Patricia never really had no experience calling offensive plays. If you ask me, not that great of a defensive coordinator to begin with. So I don't know how he could specialize in something that he doesn't even like. I don't know. It's just a lot of questions that I have um, that have just yet to be answered. And I just look at where the Patriots have gone over the past couple of years. And it's it's bad. I, I, like I, it just leaves a lot of room for critique and, and criticism. So without further ado, um, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up because <clears throat> I've been here long enough. Uh, I know you guys are probably tired. So. Um, without further ado, let you guys go. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'll be back. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the top 10 teams. I'll be back. Uh, the top 10 teams, like I said, they're very to change. It's a, it's a weekly thing. Um, I say this, it's, it's a little bit harder for me to change my top five. Um, I usually give my top five teams a little bit more wiggle room. Um, but yeah, so Enjoy football this uh, this Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to try to bring you guys more college football content as well. Uh, by the way, USC is looking really good, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, but always remember, two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace. Gone.